Hello, welcome to HFMA Talk, the podcast for NHS finance. I'm Sarah Day, Policy and Research Manager at the HFMA. In today's podcast, we're looking at the MedTech funding mandate, and I'm joined by Sarah Tyers, who is the MedTech funding mandate policy lead at NHS England and NHS Improvement. So hi, Sarah. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me today. So can you start by explaining what the MedTech mandate is and what your role is around it? So um, I lead the MedTech funding mandate here um, and I'm part of the innovation, research and life sciences team. The mandate is a really new policy. So it launched in April uh, 2021 after being delayed due to COVID, but it did get launched uh, last year in 2021. And it's an NHS long-term plan commitment to get NICE selected, um, approved cost-saving devices, diagnostics and digital products to the NHS more quickly um, to increase innovation across the NHS, um, basically. Um, and the way it aims to do that is to remove barriers to innovation. And the the AAC, which is the Accelerated Access Collaborative, has been working with innovation um, together with the um, AHSNs, which are the Academic Health Science Networks, for years looking at different innovations and what they've learned is there are barriers to innovation. Finance is one of them. Being able to fund the technology is is a barrier. So the MedTech funding mandate um, helps innovation by removing the barrier and it requires commissioners to fund the technologies um, when approached by healthcare providers that want to implement the technology and if they're supported by the MedTech funding mandate then the technologies have met several criteria which makes them worthwhile implementing. So the criteria in um, for 21-22 was that the technologies had to be cost saving um, and they had to be substantially cost saving, so saving more than a million pounds per year after five years of implementation. They had to save money within 12 months, so a fast return on investment. They had to be um, proven by NICE, so an MTG guidance or DG guidance, that's a medical technologies guidance or a diagnostic guidance had to have been published before a certain date, 30th of June, um, to be included on the policy. And that guidance had to state that it was recommended for for use in the NHS, not just for research purposes. And that guidance is backed up by evidence and it will also have a resource impact assessment, um, which shows cost savings. So providers can go in and put in their eligible population for that technology and and understand how how cost saving that is. It could it had to be affordable for the NHS as well. So a budget impact of um, 20 million couldn't be breached. So the cost impact um, and that's similar to um, medicines 
guidance, um, what's expected for, for medicines to be implemented. And then the last, the last criteria for 21-22 was that it had to have been supported by um, the Innovation Technology Payment Programme previously. So the four technologies that met this criteria were well known to the team um, and had good spread and adoption. The Academic Health Science Network knew a lot about them and they were you know, great products to begin the MedTech funding mandate policy and get that like national spread and adoption. So that's the MedTech funding mandate, how it started, and we're just about to go into the second year um, where we've reduced the criteria slightly. It doesn't have to be supported by ITP any longer and it can make cost savings within a slightly longer time. So we're looking at an, an interesting year ahead with some technologies that we're a bit less familiar with and we've been working hard to, to get to know them very well. And just picking up from about about you looking at some of this uh, this work you come from a, a costing and finance background don't you yes that's right yes um so so personally i've i've worked in the nhs um since i left school i've been in finance most of my career i think i'm in my my 25th year in the nhs now and what was nice about being a costing practitioner was understanding all the elements that go into treating a patient um, when you're in financial management and you look at look at um, sort of departments in in isolation, when you look at costing, you understand why those isolated departments may be overspending if a specialty is demanding more of those services, and then understanding why those services are are, are overstretched, being demanded more is really interesting and. I came into this work because I had a meeting with someone that worked in in the Accelerated Access Collaborative talking about innovations and how the innovation would disrupt a service, but then make it more efficient by enabling patients to be seen quicker or, um, you know, less bed days required following treatment maybe or um, a diagnostic which meant the treatment um, treatment time could re be reduced and this this was fascinating this really resonated with the work I'd done in costing and when I was working at my local provider um, when you when you understand how clinicians want to change their services and we use the costing data to do that we're looking forward to the to the time when we can see these medtech funding mandate technologies in that national cost data so we can understand a picture of of of, of the effect that they have because they are disruptive they do, they will disrupt a service but after a period of time that service should should be more efficient because the cost savings we talk about are very often a resource saving so it might not be cash that you're saving but it might be valuable resource which with with covid recovery could be yep. seen as as more valuable than than cash at the moment more valuable than the great british pound at the moment so just uh, listening to you, the, the technologies you're talking about as you say they're proven they're shown to save resources and and support uh, patient care so why is the mandate needed why aren't people just doing it anyway 
So I see this policy as a as a, a collision of of minds. As a as an accountant in the NHS, I never used to look for innovation myself to help maybe with cost improvement programs or or solve problems in in terms of backlog. Um, accessing theatres may be difficult. That wasn't the job of corporate corporate teams in a provider. Often clinicians would get excited about an innovation, come to the finance office and, and want to understand how they can raise the the investments for the technologies. This policy requires commissioners to fund them, but it shows the commissioners what technologies they are, how they benefit, um, tells the story around, um, you know, the, the resource saved, the benefit to patients, which is really important, and brings them into the innovation space without them having to go researching themselves. So we do a lot of work to understand the very best technologies that NICE give guidance to and bring them, bring those guidances in this policy to the doors of commissioners and, and finance um, colleagues in providers. And then we also hope that the clinicians would also be keen and that brings those two worlds to, together. The clinicians that want to innovate and use these technologies because it's better for their patients, giving finance staff the, the vision of a resource or a cost saving. Um, we also work with procurement, so we try and make sure these technologies are available on NHS supply chain. So we remove procurement barriers and make that implementation as easy as possible because innovation takes a lot of time and the barriers just lengthen that time. So if we can remove some of those barriers and get these technologies out faster, then we can see the benefits as a, as a whole system as well as the patient and, and locally we can we can see, you know, help towards the backlog that we, we're facing with COVID, um, etc. So, so that's that's the aim. That's why we see a need for this policy is to speed up that process and, and we can help do that. And and how do you tell people about them? I'm assuming you have a, a communication route to tell people about the new technologies and, and how it can help them. So that's that has been really difficult. The policy was launched in COVID and um, in April 21 we were still really battling and NHS England we're not really allowed to do much comms around anything that wasn't COVID related or related to the vaccine. So um, communication was was very low key. We did a national webinar and we've just done another national web webinar, which we've just received the recording for. So we have an NHS future site which people can join. So a, a MedTech funding mandate workspace on Futures NHS. But our main, our main allies in this policy is our delivery partners that help us get this policy out there with, and that's our low, that's the Academic Health Science Network, and they work 
um, with us and they work locally in their regions um, with that rich regional knowledge to help us promote um, promote the technologies and they also know in their local healthcare providers who to go to to talk about these technologies as well. So we do national comms here from our team and then locally the academic health science network are working hard to to promote this and help implement as well. So that is another benefit of the policy is that the AHSNs will help with the project management, bring all those people together in the room that right. we talked about earlier. So obviously with the AHSNs going out to the people that they are already linked with, but who tends to drive this locally? Does it come from providers or is it coming from food commissioners in terms of trying to encourage the uptake? It's it's a mixture of both, depending on the, the region at, at the moment. We have some academic health science networks um, saying that the eastern region that have set up a, a forum of commissioners um, and we meet quarterly and go through the providers in that area and understand where they are in the uptake of, of those technologies. And then we've got providers who have really keen clinicians that want to access the technologies and and you know help ask for help building the business cases to take to their commissioners to to understand if they're you know for the for the funding so there is a, a real mix across the country of of who's engaged we've just done the national webinar and that like nearly 600 people um oh. signed up which is a and it was a real mix of commissioners and providers and what we're feeling now about the policy is that, and, and what we hope is that they both want to do it together. And that's the most sustainable way of implementing technology is if both parties are a team and understand the benefits. And, and most of the technologies, there's great patient stories behind the technologies which makes you believe that implementing them is the best thing. So, so yeah, so it depends on the, on the region and the, and the links that the AHSN have got, if the links are stronger in commissioners or if it's stronger in, in providers. Yeah. So just thinking about that, with you saying that it works best when both parties are working together, presumably with the move towards integrated care boards and more integrated working, that's a positive move your policy and are you expecting anything to change as a consequence? The the main policy that supports the MedTech funding mandate is the National Tariff Payment System or the NHS Payment System and that um, really uh, is moving away now from activity based payments and from from site agreements and looking at areas to support ICSs. And the way we describe that implementation process, and it's really best to understand um, sort of what your services were before um, implementation, during implementation and after implementation so that you get a really broad idea over a period of time who who benefits and where where the costs are made so where the 
say where the um, technology is purchased that could be in the the acute sector but then who benefits so for us we've seen technologies that are purchased in acute sector but will bring benefits not only to the to that acute provider that's purchased the technology but we may also see those benefits in in the community um, and we'd really like to to broaden the scope of the technologies we look at so look at technologies maybe in 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 primary care with ICSs I think that'll be that'll be more possible less risk involved there'll be less focus on who pays who gains mm. it'll be a system system-wide view which I think will be even more beneficial for the technology and the patients so the aligned payment and incentive approach then is exactly what you need to make this work yeah so the technologies the cost of the technologies in the in the national payment system are on a, a pass-through basis but the fixed payment the the main payment um, can be used to look at those project costs so that initial investment maybe a change in IT infrastructure um, there may be the the cost of the project group can can be substantial maybe training how do you backfill the tr while while people are being trained etc um, so so broad the the national payment system has helped us to think broader about well, how how do providers handle the other costs that are involved in implementation? And it'll be great to start thinking about the technologies over a longer period of time. We tend to tend to focus in single financial years. Um, but the, the MedTech funding mandate policy understands that um, not everyone's going to begin implementation on April 1 and it and it be sorted by the 31st of March. That's not reality. So the policy will support technologies over a longer period of time enabling more flexibility for that conversation with the commissioner to say well if we implement at a certain time and after 12 months the cost can then become part of the fixed payment the business as usual but that extra funding will really help to implement well first time and get those patient pathways changed and and feel those um, when the benefits are, are realised, like really feel it across the system. So just to pick up um, really the name, the MedTech funding mandate, there, there isn't funding that goes with this, is there? It's part of the Commissioner's allocation. That's that right. Yes, it's a, a very cleverly named policy. It grabs people's attention, um, but there is no additional funding. And so, yes, it comes from uh, the it's the the commissioners that are mandated to fund a the implementation of a technology when the provider you know wants to do so, mm. and that that is from existing allocations because of those cost savings that that we check can you know are real, and those it isn't cash saving, so it's not a great cash saving scheme and we have to think more cleverly about it and think about that resource and how it will be redeployed um, so yes it's it grabs the attention because of the name but we have to think a little little harder about it than acquiring innovations for free almost because that in itself 
brings different habits that haven't worked in the past and and that's why um, the national when this policy was consulted on back in December 2019 that that existing allocation was supported and yeah. has been supported again in the in the national tariff consultation and there's been there's quite a focus obviously at the moment around efficiencies there's um efficiency target was that's in the tariff and then the announcement from the Treasury that that's going to be doubled and I assume that you can link this in with delivering efficiencies for systems and that's perhaps one of the areas where there will be more focus. Yeah hopefully as we um, get to work with providers that are early implementers we can monitor how they've gone and use their implementation as a, as a case study to show you know real life um, evidence of of the benefits and outcomes that that come from that implementation and build case studies and um you know help build the business cases to show those show those efficiencies that are made so hopefully this will be looked at as a, as a good tool now we've been talking all the way through we've been talking about technologies let's talk about what some of those technologies are let's have some <laughs> examples of the sort of thing that this is uh, enabling people to do so from the 1st of April 22-23, um, there are 11 technologies supported by the MedTech funding mandate. So the first year there, there were four and we've discovered another seven which meet the criteria. So for the first year, the four technologies are um, one's called HeartFlow, which is um, a cardiac CT scan. Um, it, well, it takes the data from a cardiac CT scan to produce a 3D image of the heart with estimated flow through the heart. And it will estimate where the, the blockage is and, and enable faster um, diagnosis. So a, patient, a, a clinician will understand if a patient needs to be stented quite quickly or if actually a medical route can be taken for that patient. So that speeds up the diagnosis of, of that. Another technology is uh, helps rule out preeclampsia. It's a diagnostic test that rules out preeclampsia in um, pregnant ladies. So they can they may be showing signs of preeclampsia. And together with a clinical assessment, they can use the, the test to reassure that, that that lady isn't preeclampsic and won't develop it for another seven days so they can go home safely to the care of their their midwife and the community allowing them to go back to their families and releasing uh, resource in in maternity units and we spoke about that preeclampsia technology previously and you were talking about how that can also support um, organizations to address some of the health inequalities they might be experiencing absolutely. in their area absolutely so our BAME communities uh, tend to be more hypertensive. Um, so there is a focus in the in the northwest. My geography is not great, but to make sure that that um, that technology is available, um, that diagnostic test is available um, to. To reach out to that high risk group and make sure that they're safe. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of work on on those inequalities that goes on behind the scenes of the MedTech funding mandate. 
and those two technologies you've just mentioned were have, were already approved last year so that means yep. that they show a payback within 12 months is that right yep so um we have had uh it's been tricky for heart flow because um with covid some ct scanners have been earmarked for covid patients so actually access to the scanners has been a difficulty but that means there is a backlog now of of steady chest pain patients and it's really important that they get to their treatment quicker um to, to avoid, you know, that case getting serious. Mm -hmm. um, so we're seeing an increased use in, in um, FFRCT now as as things start to, to ease up in, in the hospitals and those CT scanners become available for, for more general use. And so what have you got coming online then from, from April? So because we didn't, we don't know about the technologies as well as we knew about the four technologies. So coming up from April, there are four technologies that actually treat the same thing. They've all got different um, nice guidance, but they're all ways of treating benign prostatic hyperplasia, which um, means for older men an enlarged prostate that interferes with bladder flow and therefore in, uh, interferes with with day-to-day -day life. Um, so again, COVID has seen elective surgeries such as BPH surgery not done. So we've got a real backlog. And we've been working with the GERF team on these four BPH technologies. We wouldn't expect every trust to be implementing all four technologies. And so we're working with the GERF team, the Get It Right First Time team, um, the urology team, who are keen to move away from traditional um, monopolar TERP and move towards um, these new technologies. So there's different methods of um, ensuring that that prostate isn't getting in the way of of um, the bladder and the the bladder flow. So there is resume, which is um, it does it by steam. Urolift is actually tags which physically move it out the way. Um, there is a bipolar terp. I think I've got that right. Um, so there is a, a plasma system and a green light laser system. And as I say, they they all treat the same condition. There's a real need. Um, across the NHS to reduce backlogs um, and re reduce the number of, of men that are actually dying with their catheters in because they didn't get the surgery they needed. Um, so that's a, and that's been great to work um, together with the Academic Health Science Network and the GERF team to make sure that we can support implementation of technology. And again, this is a, a, health, a health inequality in, in, you know, older men. So a great project to be involved in. The other three technologies, so that's four technologies in the same space. There's three more technologies. Um, the first one is um, a technology which, ha which helps chronic sinusitis without the need of theatre time. So traditionally patients with chronic sinusitis can have surgery, but something called Express is a balloon dilation system 
which is inserted into the sinus cavity, inflated with water, and it reshapes that sinus cavity to make sure that it, it drains and it's no longer um, blocked, which could be really uncomfortable mm. and can be done in um, a clean outpatient setting, like a, an outcake. Uh, outpatient procedure setting rather than using theatres. So we're very excited about that one. Another technology is called Topaz. It's a digital chest drain system. So a, a traditional chest drain system um, would be, uh, would use suction um, and you would have to stay still while you, while you had the chest drain in and monitoring the air or fluid coming away from that chest cavity is, is done manually and visually. So removal might not be at the optimum time, but with Topaz, it's a small, compact digital uh, box with digital readings. Um, so the patient can be mobile, so they can, after surgery, they can move around to use the use the toilet etc so it's great for post-surgery recovery and the digital readouts mean that um, the chest drain can be removed often earlier because the the readings show the you know the, the optimal time for removal and then the final one is spectra optia this is a technology which helps sickle cell patients um, when sickle cell patients go into crisis, they need red cell exchange. And this, a ferrosis machine will do that automatically. You can have a manual exchange procedure which, take, which takes a lot longer and is much less effective. So um, this, um, a ferrosis machine is, is faster, more efficient, and the need for further therapy due to iron buildup isn't isn't needed. So that's a that's a great technology that we'll be supporting too. It occurs to me listening to you that the conversations you have at work now must be a long way removed from those you used to have as part of the finance team. You've learned yes, a lot. Very, <laughs> they are very um very detailed. You get very into the patient's story. And I think mm. we try and convey that in any any comms that we do is is understanding those patient benefits, but actually that then filtrates back into the system and, and it's really important. I'm just listening to some of those technologies you were describing and linking back to the comment around efficiencies a, a little while ago. There's so much there that you're describing that allows people to treat conditions differently, reduce waiting lists, free up theatre time. It, it, it addresses so many pressures that we're currently facing, doesn't it? All those things, yes, definitely. And some of the, the technologies that we were um, were supporting in last year. So we, we support something called SecuraCath and that keeps that keeps a patient's PIC line in place without the need for adhesives. So things like um, the SecuraCath and the Topaz machine have great patient safety benefits as well. Um, so th the benefits, you know, hopefully make commissioners and providers really really want to implement together with the clinicians as well um, you know hopefully that will that 
desire comes across and then everyone will want to do this um and then the barriers then become that you can overcome them if you've got a big enough belief that something is the right thing to do yeah and you understand that other people are doing it as well so you don't want access to be a problem so you know equity of access is really important then hopefully yeah. everyone can can be doing it together and learning from each other and telling each other you know the, the benefits that'd be brilliant so for somebody listening to this podcast who knew nothing about it until they've been listening to you talk for the last uh, half hour or so <laughs> the best thing for them to do is really go to the future nhs site i'm assuming to find out a bit more yeah we have um the accelerated access collaborative has a medtech funding mandate page um, so you can pop that into Google. It's part of NHS England website um, and it's part of the um, Accelerated Access Collaborative How Can We Help section. So it'll yep. come up as MedTech Funded Mandate. We've got a, a single page that links to the guidance um, and yeah, the Futures NHS site has more tools so we're hoping to get our recent webinar on there um if you join you you'll receive emails about future events frequently asked questions policy sadly doesn't capture absolutely every scenario so uh, when we're asked queries we we make sure that those queries are shared with everybody in case they they come across the same thing so mm we have a document of questions too so it's a it's a really useful area to to join up to brilliant well thank you Sarah for your time today that's been absolutely fascinating and I've, I've learned loads about things I've never <laughs> even heard about before so that's been really interesting for me and hopefully it's been useful for those listening so well, that's been been great thank you for your time thanks ever so much Sarah it's been great to be here thank you for listening to HFMA talk don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to keep up with future episodes.